0: Hey everybody, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show on a Thursday evening. I think we're doing all right. I'm just making sure that we are, uh, YouTube did something a little bit strange on my side of things, so I just want to make sure that we're all on the up and up for some strange reason. Okay, now Twitch is screwing with me tonight. For some strange reason, the last two nights, I don't know if you are one of the the few who call Theta, our Theta, um, every night, that be your home for watching the show, but the last couple of nights, and it seems like tonight is going to be a, an issue too, uh, there's a, a, a stream. I don't know. The, the whole The whole account is locked up from a stream I must have started earlier on in the week. It's obviously not on my end, so I got in touch with them. Um, Twitch is giving us a little bit of trouble tonight. That's not connecting. But Theta is already off the boards. As far as YouTube goes, it looks like we are looking good. And everybody is feeling good, hopefully. Are you feeling well? Tonight we got Jay Dyer coming on the show. And I just I have a lot of just random things. Of course it all has to do with new world order formations and global transformations and I uh, but there's always something behind it just to know the names and the players the names of the players here in the modern day is not enough it's good to know the kind of ancient mentalities that are driving it all so I had some questions especially about around the character of Cecil Rhodes and the so-called anglo-american establishment And the final cataclysm that we've talked about on this show before many times when bringing up the fabled uh, Three World Wars letter from Confederate General Albert Pike, I think it was to, what, Mazzini in 1870, 1871, about the Three World Wars that needed to be organized and, um, like I said, fabled. I never... I never found any kind of definite evidence that it existed, but still, I, uh, I would say that we're being set up very nicely for whoever went out there and put the words in Albert Pike's mouth, um, they, they had some foresight as to how this whole thing <laughs> was going to go down after the first uh, the first World War, second one. And then how things are starting to shape up right now into with the final social cataclysm. And Jay Dyer is a great guy to jump into all that stuff with because he's a wealth of knowledge. And he's had a pretty good month, too. I, I heard him on on Clyde Lewis's show a couple of weeks back. That was cool. And then he was on TimCast last week. As you know, he hosts the fourth hour of Infowars every Friday. So he's doing his thing, jaysanalysis.com, and he'll be here tonight. All right. Other than that, I just wanted to, to tell you all that you can send in your Super Chats to quite frankly super dot com. Quite frankly super dot com and anywhere else that is um, anywhere else that has uh, those those uh, native Super Chat platforms and tips in there. Rockfin is there and then you have Rumble and the gold pills on. Foxhole, which is on Quite Frankly TV. Anyway, that's what we're getting into right now. I want to thank my sponsor, Secret Nature CBD. A nice thing to chill to on a night that you're going to go down some rabbit holes. SecretNatureCBD.com. I would uh, Andrew Bashago is going to be on Saturday night. Tomorrow night we're going to have a good time. Maybe Matt is going to be here, but either way, we'll have at least a short segment with Timothy uh, Timothy Gordon. Because I I wanted to read some stuff, new stuff from Leo Zagami on this Benedict book. So there's a lot of Vatican rumor stuff. That's always kind of spooky. I love doing that, and uh, a lot of good stuff in the in the future. In the future, session three out of four of our book club last night was incredible. I just like it. You know, you talk about the source material, then you start talking about life, and it all starts connecting. And I um, there's something. The cosmic alignment of the, the stars for these last two books that we've done. I feel like they've been preparatory for the, the years that we are already witnessing. The things that we're witnessing right now and the history we find ourselves in the middle of. I think it's been great. But let's get to some, some grab bag, shall we? The first one up is from the New York Post. Chat GPT could make these jobs obsolete. The wolf is at the door, says this guy. Artificial intelligence is here and it's coming for your job, not if you're a plumber, of course. So promising are the tools, capabilities that Microsoft, amid layoffs of 10,000 people, has announced a multi-year, multi-billion dollar investment in the revolutionary technology, which is growing smarter by the day. And the rise in the machines leaves many well-paid workers vulnerable, experts warn. AI is replacing the white-collar worker. I don't think anyone can stop that. Now, white-collar, if you're a financial advisor, I think that you'll always have some kind of a role to play in things like that. Because, of course, financial advising is very human. When you're advising somebody's financial moves, you're making that based on whatever variables you can calculate that have to do with human tendency and human ambition and and what are what what's going on in out there in the marketplace of ideas and products and what is necessary services that are needed who's investing in that pharmaceuticals it, it, it's that's still a very human thing but as far as IT and coding and all that other stuff when you can just shout at a computer to write code for one thing or another i that's it's incredible how we thought that these would be the jobs that would always be in mass supply. And already, AI has come in and swept that up faster than it is sweeping up anybody that's working at a kiosk at McDonald's. We'll we'll see. It's still a, a very large world out there and anything can happen. But uh, that's, um, that's something to think about that and the rise of machines leave many well-paid workers vulnerable. AI is replacing the white-collar worker. I don't think anyone can stop that, said uh, Pen-Ching Chi, an associate dean at the Department of Computing and Information Sciences at Rochester Institute of Technology. Probably was also driving around uh, Diane Feinstein for 20 years. Sorry, is that insensitive? I didn't mean it to be. Moving on. This is not Crying Wolf, she told The Post. The wolf is at the door, or as Elon Musk called it not too long ago, AI, summoning the demon. So the demon is at the door. But of course now Elon Musk is finding a way for you to lace your brain up with all of his Neuralink technology. So, so, here's another one. You might have seen the latest from Project Veritas that came out at 8 o'clock last night, and it was a doozy. So you had this uh, research and development executive who was busted on on tape I, again, again. All you need to do is feed these people linguini, and they will say anything. Give them give them a, a glass of some Zinfandel and a bowl of linguini, and they will tell you everything. And they're proud of it. That's the biggest thing. So what was he saying on tape? We don't have time to watch it. You can watch it on your own if you haven't already seen it. This uh, research and development guy from Pfizer is pretty much saying that they are are purposefully mutating COVID on their end of things to create new strains that would precipitate the need for new vaccines. Which is like, I mean, no shocker over here, but it's always nice to have it on tape, which we do now. Only now that he has been... Confronted by James O'Keefe for one of those follow-up things after they've been outed. He got completely indignant and he, he flew off the handle and he got actually physically violent with, uh, with James and his crew over there in this, uh, in this restaurant when he was confronted about the statements he made on camera. And what did he say? Well, this will be more shocking than the admission itself. He claims he lied about mutating COVID on purpose to impress a date like normal people. Like normal people. Haven't you you ever lied about purposefully mutating a virus to create need or justification to put people's health in jeopardy with relatively untested genetic therapies? Haven't you ever... Had to impress somebody by saying that? Come on, that's a very, very common thing. I've done it at least three times the last 10 years. Just anybody. People you meet online. What will you do for a living? You know, just that. That's it. Here's the update. Project Veritas James O'Keefe was physically assaulted after approaching Jordan Tristan Walker, Pfizer's director of research and development. He was just kidding the director. And I love that they went they got the director of R&D over here because now you can't say he was just a mailroom clerk. My gosh. R&D Strategic Operations who had been caught on tape admitting to the fact that the company is exploring a way to mutate COVID via directed evolution. That's what he said, in order to anticipate new strains for their COVID-19 vaccine. When o, when O'Keefe first approached him about his admission, Walker erupted in denial, exclaiming I was just lying to a person to impress them on a date. Then he lunged for O'Keefe. So um he went on to admit that he's not even a scientist by background. Now, what do you think? What do you think? Because the admission is crazy. It's, in, it's more so They are when you you watch the exchange. It's not about hey, we're trying to anticipate where this is going to go Because obviously the best thing is to just Wait until people get if you are really in that business people get sick You figure out what the hell's going around and you uh, you start doing your work, but how can you anticipate and again? These are all shots shouldn't they be in in testing for five to ten years at, at a time. I'm never taking any of this stuff ever again ever again never I will ne- I, I only I think the last time I had a shot was in 2010. I had I twi- I got a. I had a high ankle sprain for some reason they told me I I needed my tetanus shot cuz I hadn't had it in 10 years. So I was like, "Oh, okay." It's like, "You know I and I just I wasn't even thinking." So I had a tetanus shot in 2010. That's the last time I had any of this. But never again. But if you see the exchange, it's it, he's blatantly saying that they're that they were doing this stuff to be able to pump out new vaccines. So um, immediately, I went to go see if that that story out of Boston University that we had heard about, how they were uh, they were testing and they were mutating COVID strains over there as well, and they were able to create one that killed eighty percent of the mice. That it, it, that doesn't translate into eighty percent of people who would have gotten it, but it, it was like a, a strain that was a little bit more, a little bit less than Delta, a little bit more than Omicron, all this shit. So I wanted to go see, to see if there's any kind of Pfizer mention in any of those Boston University articles, and I couldn't find anything. Anyway, 709, we're doing good. Jay Dyer is going to be joining us in a few minutes. All right. Here you have it. A new missile barrage pummels Ukraine as Russia vows U.S.-made tanks will burn. They will burn. Now, you can read this article if you'd like. It's only going to escalate from here, and that's going to be part of our conversation with Jay Dyer tonight. Namely, Russia, Germany. What is it about these two nations and their cultures that needed to be destroyed? That needed to be targeted and destroyed? I have some ideas, but I like when people like Jay go ahead and take the floor and run with it. But I got this email last night from a member of our audience, and this is why I love my audience because there's so many cool people out there who have a lot of really interesting experience. This one is from uh, Robert. He said, Frank, I was a tank commander in the Marines. There is absolutely no way that these weapons will be available or able to be used on the battlefield with any efficiency. It takes months, if not years, to become proficient with them. Just trying to get them to hit a target with the main gun is extremely complicated with the computer dopes uh, you have to, with the, uh, the computer uh, dope, dopes? You have to enter, in, that might be a term or, or a typo, uh, that you have to enter into on a daily basis. There is no way these warmups, the 90s sweaters, The 90s sweater-wearing, doofus Ukrainians are going to be able to utilize these multi-million dollar machines. This will end up in Russian hands. Oh, and the contents of the armor. The contents of the armor of these Abrams tanks on these machines are highly classified. So guess what? This will be just like Obama giving Iran our drone technology since there's absolutely no way these will be useful for Ukraine. I'm thinking it's actually going to be the U.S.'s plan to get our vaccinated, purple-haired troops in there. Now, that's all Robert left me, and I'm really glad I get those 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 little insightful uh, emails from people. But i got to tell you, I'm not coming at this from a place of personal experience but i was wondering the same thing for the very reason the only reason is that the last batch this latest batch of tanks over here they were just recently and and consistently rejected by the pentagon for the last couple of months and they have just been reversed out of nowhere and here it is i had to go out there and make sure i wasn't uh i wasn't going nuts Here's an article from MiddletownPress.com. Despite concerns, U.S. has sent 31 Abrams tanks to Ukraine. President Joe Biden announced Wednesday that the U.S. will send 31 M1 Abrams battle tanks to Ukraine, reversing months of persistent arguments that the tanks were too difficult for Ukrainian troops to operate and maintain. So this is months of saying, no, we cannot do this. We cannot do this for all of The reasons that Robert right there just said, a marine tank commander. At least we have to take his word for it, but it makes a lot of sense to me, and uh, I believe him. So the question then becomes, if you are just a casual observer of the news and not necessarily a marine tank commander, if they didn't want to send this stuff a week ago or so because they admit no one would adequately be able to use this effectively in a battlefield, then who is going to be using them? Who is going to be using them? Because I'm pretty sure that the Ukrainians that they are bringing in for military crash courses in Oklahoma, uh, that wasn't about the tank and whatever they were doing over the last couple of weeks is not going to suffice for real-time battle situations. I'm, I'm, I'm quite certain of it. So it's either an offering of free equipment to the Russians as he just said with, uh, like with Obama and the drone technology, or we're going to be even more transparent now as a government about having our own people actually directly engaged in combat. So, those are the two things that go through my mind. I wonder what goes through yours. All right, let's go and kick this one off. It is 713. On the other side of the intro, going to just set the stage a little bit for Jay, Jay Dyer, and we're going to jump right into it. Thank you for being here tonight. I shared the live links across all the, quite frankly, socials. If you can be a doll and please sponsor the show through your social media, through your social skills, and get it out there far and wide, retweet it, reblog it, share it, direct message it, text it, homing pigeon, uh, war drums, smoke signals. Get it out there. We have to go old school with everything. And uh, if you're on YouTube or Rumble, make sure you hit that like button. It is making big time differences. With no help, we are actually moving our own ball across the finish line right here. And what's that finish line? Finally crossing 100K. And then from there, who knows? Well, we might lose a 1,000 after that. Because you know there's going to be that weird moment where it's 100K back back down to 99,999. 100K, 99.998. it's going to happen. I might even unsubscribe once we get to 100K just to get it out of the way because you know that little fluctuation is going to be there. All right, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere.
1: We bring in the studio this morning one of the gay rights activists, Mr., should I call you Mr.? Sure. Pepe Julian Onzima, thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Morning to you. Why are you gay? Who says I'm gay? You are gay. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, There goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride!
0: To the show. It's quite frankly, the pre-show is over and now it's the real show. The fake show is done and now it's the real thing. Okay, so here's what I wanted to do. You know, if you've ever been interested, if you've ever been interested in traipsing back through time to see where this march toward full spectrum dominance over the entire planet began and, uh, and how better to understand the mentality behind it. I you know some people just want to rule the world, but there's a lot more there. When I say full-spectrum dominance, I mean full-spectrum, like the spiritual world, too. Not just everything above us in the atmosphere and below our feet. Not just cyberspace and controlling everything through conventional military and elsewise. But I'm talking about full-spectrum, both here and the spiritual world those those are the real plots that get me all goose pimply well that's what i want to do because depending on where you're going with this that can either take you back that search for information can take you back either a couple hundred years if you're interested in learning about the formation of modern banking houses and the wars that they were they were funding on both sides and of course the um the 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 push from the 18th, 19th, 20th century into League of Nations types types of uh, ideas that were successful to varying degrees. But if you want to go even farther back, you can. You can go back. These rabbit holes will sometimes take you back 1,000, 2,000 or more so years. That's, of course, if you're interested in the ritual cult activity seemingly energizes such plots with any number of unholy mandates but I am mainly concerned with how plans change over time. That's my main thing as we uh, as we bring on uh, Jay Dyer tonight my whole thing here is understanding how plans change how does one generation of villains how may they have their visions been adopted by newer younger generations of villains now, are we playing are we playing a game of new world order telephone where someone just picks up the ball they know where they're kind of going and whatever or is everyone striving exactly toward a very common end for example i often ask myself does klaus schwab because i don't know the guy i just know by what he what he is he is very proudly putting out there into the world bragging about does a klaus schwab character really think that AI transhumanism is a good beneficial thing and he believes in the goodness of it all or is he a sadist that just loves watching people mutilate themselves is he just or when you look at Davos is this a an example of the Sopranos where you have Tony Soprano and all these these New York and New Jersey crews that are running around and they're just trying to cobble together all the power and influence they can in their little strip of land? Is it just extrapolated out into a global scheme? That's what I'm most wondering about. Or is it something, dare I say, spiritual and religious for them, for these people who otherwise present themselves as completely atheist and hollowed out in that respect, totally secular, and fine, focused on secular living and, uh, and spreading that orthodoxy around the world. Now, closer to the end of the 19th century into the 20th century, no doubt you've come across names of people like Cecil Rhodes, who was a co-founder of the De Beers diamond monopoly, an occultist, and a believer in the future. That should be dominated by an Anglo-American establishment across Asia and Africa and beyond wanted to reassimilate the United States back into the um, back into the sphere of influence of Mother England, and um, and that's it to establish a global empire. In that means, I, it recruited a lot of names as partners and backers that you might know from Rothschild to Stead to Milner to uh, 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 Balfour. I mean, there's a lot going on there, a lot. That's where we get the, the, pre, uh, the prefix for the, the, uh, the preface for the Boer War, World War I, World War II. It, I mean, it's a, it's a daisy chain of events that is inextricably li- linked to each other. But obviously, somewhere along the, wa- the, the way, the vision, that, that vision at least, had to have been scrapped for something else. And that's what I want to talk about with Jay Dyer tonight. Now, you all know him. If you've been watching this show for a while, because he's been here quite a bit, but Jay is a researcher, an author, a comedian, a master of the deep analytical dives into philosophical and religious and Hollywood uh, stories and, um, and, and geopolitics, of course. You can find all of his work on jaysanalysis.com, and he's here with us tonight. What's going on, Jay Dyer?
2: Hey, what's up, Frank? Glad to be back. We always have some of the best conversations. And uh, I know I was supposed to be on a few weeks ago, and I, I screwed up. I'm really bad at time. I don't know exactly how time works. So <laughs> anytime like... there's time zones, I'm all confused.
0: Dude, it's all right. It's great to have you back. And you've had one hell of a January so far, man. Good for you. Ground Zero, TimCast, you have that standing the standing appointment on uh, on Fridays with InfoWars. It's It's great to see you out there working.
2: Thanks. Yes, the the this was you know January is my birthday, so it was kind of a nice birthday present to have all these uh, big gigs lined up, and uh, we had a <clears throat> tremendous response from TimCast. So thanks for that. It was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. Now you were you and a lot of other people were actually just gathered in a uh, what was this in, in Nashville in Tennessee. What had what's been going on over there? I saw Kathy O'Brien, I saw Jason Burmis, you, a few other people I knew. What was going on there?
2: Yeah, so when I got back from Timcast, I didn't realize they were putting on a big event uh, in Nashville, which was the uh, Awakening versus Great Reset conference that, that goes on with a whole bunch of people that overlap, you know, with a lot of our uh, audiences. So I got to meet uh, Dr. Peter McCullough. I got to uh, finally meet Burmess in person. You know, we've done <clears throat> interviews for many years, but i never had met him in person. So we got to hang out. Um, you know, a lot of Red Pill people there, so it was a really good time and uh you know we did some sit down interviews there as well so it was just like kind of a non-stop like everything mushes together in my mind because like one long like i don't know five days of yeah. podcasts and interviews non-stop but uh, it was. I'll tell you one thing that was exciting was to see, um, people, like thousands of people listening to people up on stage exposing Jeff Jeff Stein McEffrey. You know who I mean.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. You, you know this is the thing here that it's the most important thing, and no matter how much it gets frightening at times to see, really, you know, we are we're in it. I, I mean, I, I really do believe that we may be. I know it's, it's it may sound melodramatic. I think that we might be knocking on the door, if not walking through the threshold of the end times here, because it is just so it, it it's so accelerated and everything is so naked and proudly naked at that as far as what's coming from their end, what's coming from the, 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 the individual liberty, the, uh, the, the spiritual revival end of things. It's a, a gigantic cacophony. And I, um, I think that the most inspiring thing that keeps this more of a roller coaster level of excitement than just fear and, and foreboding is the fact that those crowds are there, whereas they weren't there even 10 years ago.
2: Yeah. It's like the separating of the wheat from the chaff. So a lot of people are, uh, you know, getting more and more awake and a lot of people are getting more and more evil. So, <clears throat> um, I don't, I don't know if it's the end times, it could be, but there's definitely a sifting that's going on and, uh, but it was encouraging to see so many people, you know, hearing like really serious hardcore information in person. I mean, we know that we talk, you know, to thousands of people on the internet, Pretty consistently, but to see it in person is always a different dynamic, and because it, it's just more—I don't know—authentic um, in person to see. You know, thousands of people hearing about full-on what the World Economic Forum's up to, what Gil Bates is up to, what Klaus is talking about. To hear the whole breakdown of Jeff Stein, McEffrey. I mean, it's just wild. <laughs> yes,
0: it is. It's a big. It's a. It's it's very wild, and we're gonna need a Rosetta Stone at some point to start just getting through all of these uh, these pseudonyms. But still. Um, let's go let's start with some of the earlier uh generation of plotters not the earliest but there's something that i always wondered and i and i wanted to get your take on it because from there who knows where we can go cecil rhodes um i gave a little bit of a background on on him and uh, but i would love for you to talk about his what you know about his vision for the world and in particular the creation of the society of the elect because from there i want to talk about how visions change and um and and what we can glean from that?
2: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I wish I'd grabbed. I, I've got a biography of Cecil Rhodes over there by John Roberts. I should have grabbed it. I just didn't think about <clears throat> grabbing that. But even in that mainline biography, it talks about him coming up with this plan, um, and he had other masters that he, you know, co- uh, colluded with. Um, for example, the Rothschild family, who who were working with Cecil Rhodes to come up with a way to, at that time, revitalize the British Empire and bring the United States colonies back under the British Empire. Although that's not what they ended up doing, they did set up the uh, deep state apparatus superstructure that would ultimately, basically accomplish that through the American Imperium. So they they intended to set up this, uh, what you could call a shadow government. And it began with Rhodes' idea to, to model a society on the Freemasons, because he was a Freemason, um, and it, for him it was the society of the elect, as you said, and it was going to be a, a private corporate governance. And he had taken this model for the British South Africa Company, where he was kind of ha- holding up this uh, De Beers mining, diamond mining uh, monopoly, and he got the idea to not just have internment camps and re-education camps and all that, but to use this uh, inner structure uh, secret structure model for governance for this plan to create a global governance it really was a global governance plan it morphed into something else but this is where we where we are with the technocratic global governance with uh wef and davos and all that it originates in the cecil Rhodes plan together with lord milner lord rothschild lord lionel curtis Uh, who had written several books, one of which was called The Commonwealth of God. It's not God like we think of. It's some other kind of God, probably Lucifer. But the idea was to uh, construct a socialist world federal state. And it morphed into, by the time of the uh, First and Second World Wars, an alliance with the wealthiest families in the the U.S., uh, Rockefellers, Vanderbilt, J.P. Morgan. And so there was this alliance between what are called the Eastern Seaboard Elite Families and the British uh, Royal Society elites, and that really is 100% documentable for where we get our intelligence uh, apparatus That that is, the, that is the secret shadow government that runs the West. And they're the ones that set up not just the Fabian Society and all that kind of stuff, but they actually set up Chatham House, Pratt House, Council of Foreign Relations, Trilateral Commission, United Nations, IMF, all of these spring from these circles that I'm talking about. That see that is
0: um, that's something that I'm 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 really interested in because as I w- would read about this guy and I would read about these circles, uh, something along the way I when I'm I'm reading here in the 21st century and I'm saying to myself, well, the United Kingdom uh, flooded itself with third world Muslim Muslim migrants. Uh, they've I mean they've they've taken the LGBT corporate line so so great that they're they're putting in like different types of I don't know, uh, like traffic signs and whatever. That's all LGBT. If this was really about establishing some permanent form of Anglo-Saxon global global empire, they, the plans obviously were scrapped somewhere along the way. And so I didn't know where where that was. So I guess that's uh, I guess that's a one well, the, place to start.
2: The British Empire was waning in power and influence by the time of World War One, and then after World War One, according to Quigley, it was pretty much as an empire done with. And so you're correct. It's not the British Empire. It's the inner core of elites that run that society who had no interest in propping up or helping the British people, but had adopted an ideology. There's a great book on this by a Romanian historian, uh, The Milner-Fabian Conspiracy by Ioan Razio. This is the book I've been lecturing through recently because it's a really important text, even though it's out of print right now. Uh, And I felt like this information was just so crucial it needed to be lectured through. But there's a whole chapter uh, addressing exactly what you're talking about, Frank, which is that these are the the elites that had decided to import uh, Islam into first the UK and then into Europe uh, by design. So it's actually a strategy of making uh, England into Londonistan on purpose, according to the Fabians who were behind it uh, at Oxford and Cambridge, to de-Christianize whatever remnants of christianity were left in england so i mean i'm not into anglicanism i think it's kind of a ridiculous thing but just even the ghosts of christianity had to be uh <laughs> exempted and, and uh, diminished uh in in terms of cultural influence and so that's why the the fabians including bertrand russell Sidney and beatrice webb they actually said we'll use islam as a tool to change the face of the UK and then by extension the face of Europe, not because they're into Muslim, uh, Islamic theology, it's just a tool, it's just a weapon of changing the existing culture, society, and demographics, and they say that openly, and so they created the Institute for Islamic Studies or something like this, which was geared towards um, promoting in the nineteen early 1900s uh, up into the 1940s and 50s, it's called the ICR, uh, to promote Sufism. And so it began with Sufism, and then that became full-on importation of all forms of Islam. But this is really no uh, surprise because the British elites had already had a long-term alliance with the Muslim Brotherhood. MI6 uh, had been using and working with uh, assets in radical Islamic groups all the way back to the early, to the turn of the century, when they sent the, the Brits sent a bunch of their spies as Arabists. Uh, 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 Philby, uh, senior. Uh, they sent T. E. Lawrence. If you've watched Lawrence of Arabia, Lawrence Arabia he's yeah. a British intelligence asset going over there and basically setting up the British model of rule. In uh, I mean, Saudi Arabia is a creation of the British Empire, so they they were really just using strategies that they'd used in the past on their own people, and that's because it has is nothing to do with the good of the British people, and it's everything to do with the erecting of a global. Uh, technocratic socialist order and that's what this this whole thing is about and it's explicit too they're very explicit about their goals and they have been for a long time and that's why they, they found rather that rather than Marxism or something some radical ideology that they, they found that the Fabian Socialism was much better suited to this because it's reformed Marxism which is explicitly an alliance between uh, Marxist ideas and big capital So they decided instead of fighting big capital, if you make an alliance of big capital, that it's much more effective in terms of changing the demographics and the social order and the, you know, the ideas that the ideology of a society to bring it, further and further towards that, uh, you know, that end goal technocratic order that Klaus wants in his books. And it's all the same people that set up all these, all these same institutions. It's pretty amazing. I mean, until I'd gotten deeper into, I mean, I knew from Quigley's books, a lot of this, but you know, Razio's books is kind of like a successor to Quigley. Hmm. And I didn't realize that Fabian's had just been permeated through all of these institutions. I mean, if it's like, whether it's the IMF, world bank, United nations, NATO, I mean, it was basically all of these things are set up by He's got a giant list of all the things the Fabians were involved in. World Council of Churches, uh, the EU. I didn't even realize the EU was a giant. I knew that Bilderberg had a, a role in the EU, but I didn't know that um, the Fabians ha- had such a powerful ideological influence on on that. And on the so, creation,
0: <clears throat> on the creation of the EU. Yeah. Oh yeah. The the EU that was a who did they call the Godfather? Of the EU.
2: Um, There's different ones. There's a Jan Smuts guy. Some some guy I never heard of. Jan Smuts. Oh. Um, and, but it was all the same people behind the UN, basically.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, I'm, I'm. Oh man, I'm
2: sorry. Hold on, Jan Smuts is the uh, ideal, ideologue of the UN. And then let me see what the guy's name was. Uh, there's another guy behind the EU.
0: I mean, the, the guy, the the, the one, that the, the I, I, this is killing me because I've I've done shows on him before, but he he. Well, there's, w- so there's a
2: there's uh, uh, Kalergi, There he is. Right there he yeah, is. Yeah. Kalergi plan there is Redinger is another one of the ideologues behind the EU and all these guys were like were, were hardcore Fabian socialists pretty wild
0: well I mean that that makes more sense as to because I've been learning more and more I needed to know more and more about World War One because it was concerning to me after after so long that this was like a foggy uh, vague part, for me too you know very yep. foggy vague understanding what was going on there And it makes more and more sense now in learning this why a burgeoning late 19th century economic giant like Germany needed to be wasted. Oh, there's a great
2: chapter on Germany in here that I didn't know about either. uh, And and that helped me understand that.
0: And and in that respect as well, Jay, Russia. I mean, 1917, uh, they they took two two big giants that could not be controlled. I, I understand why Germany and Russia has been a thorn in the side of so many.
2: Yeah, have you read Sutton's Wall Street and the Bullshit Revolution book? Never. No, I haven't. Oh, that's great. you got to get that. So Sutton was just a professor of history and economics, and he he stumbled on all this uh, information in terms of who was funding uh, Lenin and Trotsky. And, of course, it turns out that it's, you know, a lot of these powerful families, banking interests in the West, and so he wrote his famous book, Wall Street and the Bullshit Revolution. And lest anyone get this, lest anyone doubt that or think, oh, that's just some uh, outlier. Well, I'll have you know that none other than our good friend New. (laughs) Sit down and shut up. So in his Between Two Ages, his famous manual on technocracy, which got him the job of being the head of the Trilateral Commission when David Rockefeller and Henry Kissinger spotted him as a budding, burgeoning technocrat. Yes, who he cites as one of his reliable sources. So one of the top geopolitical analysts. Here you go at the be- at the very bottom of his book. Who does he cite? None other than Anthony Sutton about how Western industrialists and banking elites built up the Bolsheviks and then the Soviets to have the Cold War. I'm, so here you have the high-level technocrats admitting what normies would say. If I was to pull out this book. Normies would be like, you're a conspiracy theorist! Ah, a conspiracy! And I'm like, well, so is the big new Brzezinski a conspiracy theorist? Because he's citing Sutton. What else did Sutton write? Sutton wrote this classic, History of Skull and Bones. hmm. Okay, so we're not talking about conspiracy theories here. We're talking about mainline academics and geopolitical texts. And uh, one last point before I let you, I don't want to keep rambling, but I didn't even know. I didn't even know that the U.S. experimented in post-war Germany with culture creation psyops to re-educate Germans post-World War I and World War II into uh, re-education programs. So Uncle Sam had re-education programs for the Germans, and this was run by MI6, CIA, and Tavistock Institute To brainwash Germans into being, quote, no longer an industrial and engineering powerhouse, but to make them into pacifist farming agricultural dorks. Well, that's why they, well, they,
0: what they called it, which seemed a little bit more agreeable at the time, was denazification. Correct. Um, in many ways, where how how uh, it's 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 in many ways how uh, Reconstruction in the South went there too. Mm-hmm. It was uh, t- and and I would have to imagine in that book about the uh, the Bolsheviks in in New York that a name that will probably pop up a lot in that is one Jacob Schiff uh, at Kuhn and Loeb because I know that 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 Trotsky and Lenin uh, or and Stalin I should say. They were actually them and their foot soldiers were trained in the streets of New York City, and uh, and and that was their launching point back to Moscow with all the gold that they were they were funded with. Uh, for the- yeah,
2: the, the the key instruments were uh, the uh, American Industrial Corporation, which was a uh, J.P. Morgan outfit, National City Bank. Um, there was a foreign banker by the name of Olaf Osberg. Uh, who sent the money directly to them. And so mainly it was J.P. Morgan, Rockefeller interest, and uh, Warburg. Uh, I've actually read Warburg's letters where he talks about being happy about the success uh, of the bullshit revolution. And a lot of people think, well, why were they doing this? Well, I mean, it's pretty wild. The key, The key element as to why they wanted this was to have access to new markets in Russia. That was it. Once the revolution happened, it would eventually consolidate a lot of wealth, a lot of land, a lot of power in the hands of the Bolsheviks. Then whoever had funded the revolution, the revolutionaries would be indebted to them. The companies could then come in, buy up everything in Russia on the cheap, and then rebuild. It's that old military industrial complex, you know, war, and then then they come in and rebuild everything model. So that's exactly what it was. When
0: you go from there, because this is where I I start wondering where the, uh, like you say, I guess you can call it shrewd business to be able to go and and, uh, foment a a revolution that would have well over 100 million people killed and you're thrust into a century of godless atheism for... um, for uh, for for Russia, just to be able to be just to be able to open up new markets, yeah, uh, that that's one thing. So you talk, started talking about this this lethal form of pragmatism, but also I try to I try to understand where that ends and a larger Luciferian worldview long game begins, because obviously you're going to need to have some of them in there, and and, and you know. I guess in a way that maybe a way I can articulate this, too, was in watching your Eyes Wide Shut deep dive. We put that into rotation in the, in the network last night because we did another Eyes Wide Shut um, show on Tuesday, I think. And you talk about the gradual return uh, of this occult psychodrama. But when we zero in on people like Cecil Rhodes and the Society of the Elect, and m- many of these people were followers of satanic figures like Madame Blavatsky, who minced no words in expressing the need to recruit supernatural assistants in establishing a new world order. So on a, on a baseline cultural level where all of us are just feeding from the trough together, you know, uh, taking whatever Hollywood has given us and, and whatever they're urging us to do on on television, I can see how a psychodrama would be a good way of of uh, describing how we are living right now, you know uh, uh, how it's a useful tool for demoralization of just the common person where the plebes just go out there and they get to indulge in some hedonistic larp. But for someone farther up the line, uh Jay, there must be. It, there must be some active searching for communion with the spirit world. Have you found any evidence of that?
2: Well, uh, even Quigley in his texts, which are not at all um, his, uh, you know, conspiratorial texts, <clears throat> you, know, you go back to Anglo-American establishment, and he talks about pretty much all of the society elect and the people in the Rhodes-Milner uh, circles they were into uh spiritism and uh mesmerism now how deep they were into that i'm not sure but that's where we get this overlap with uh blavant blavatsky besant and bailey and they were all three of them um fabian socialists and their fabian socialism was also connected to their theosophy because in my view at least in the case of blavatsky for sure according to dr richard spence she was actually a british spy hmm. so she was interacting with these other figures in other countries who uh it appears that uh she her her handler might have even been nicholas rorick who was a famous uh, theosophist uh, kgb operative so we can begin to see a kind of a higher level uh, a going thing going on with the dialectic between the east and the west with these theosophists many of whom were uh, directly connected to a lot of KGB operatives and working together with them. And in the case of Blavatsky, Bassant, and Bailey, they made it explicit that their goal with Theosophy was to replace Christianity in the West with a new, quote, Luciferian religion. Mm. So <clears throat> the debate, I think, at that point becomes, if you read uh, Dr. Spence has not just his book on Crowley, where he goes into the details about, uh, in the in, uh, Secret Agent 666, his or Crowley as a spy for MI5, but he has another essay that he's written about uh, Blavatsky and her handlers from a from a academic perspective, and he argues that uh, <clears throat> perhaps this might have been why there was a connection between the East and the West at a higher level for the for these New Age circles and occult circles, and that's why some of these Bolsheviks, one, one of them was named Gleb Bokiai. Gleb Bokiai was a, a literally doing eyes wide shut stuff, and. At the same time, you know, if you read Crowley or not Crowley, if you read, if you watch, a, you know, Kubrick's size Wide shot, we begin to see that, you know, that main character that's the Hierophant running that SEX cult, uh, you know, he's a British dude. He makes him a British lord. And so I think the overlap here is precisely what you're talking about, is that at a higher level, you have these occult groups that kind of function as above the East-West capitalist communist dialectic. And they're involved in this higher level game. Um, I, I can't. We, we probably can't t- talk too much about this duty to, to, to YouTube, but uh, I, I've read quite a bit more recently about the fifth man in terms of the Cambridge Spy Ring, who probably was Lord V. Rothschild. Uh, uh, and if you get deep into that, um, he actually was running what looks like a big uh, blackmail operation. Because you know, you know, you know about the Cambridge Spy Ring. Do you know much about that? Uh no, 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 not 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 uh, not at all. Definitely worth looking into. So, do you remember when that movie came out? I, I know you're a movie buff, but it was pretty good. It has Gary Oldman in it, and it's a Tinker, Tailor, Soldier, Spy. Yes. Okay, that is based on the uh, the real story of the Cambridge KGB Spy Ring, and this isn't theory. Like everybody kind of knows, like they were they were several of them, if not all of them, were were pretty much skittles. And at that time, if you're Skittles, that means you're blackmailable, right? Right. Well, it turns out as more people have come out with books, you know, since in the last 10, 10 years or so, a lot of academic stuff's getting declassified. It looks like Lord V had a whole stable of like twenty of the top British elites and spies and people at British at MI five, MI six that he had, that had been compromised. And that's nothing more than you know what my publisher put out, uh, Whitney Webb's book. One Nation Under Blackmail, this two-part book here. I've been meaning to I mean, get those. Yeah, she's, 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 about McEffrey. But my point is that it's the exact same model because Gislaine's dad was Robert Maxwell and he was running these same things in the Cold War. And Robert, if I recall, I'm pretty sure I've, I've got a lot of facts in my head right now, but I, I think that he was buddies with Lord V in Britain. But Lord, uh, Lord V, the probably the fifth man, uh, was at that higher level who was playing the KGB and the Soviets and British intelligence off against one another, and that's because. And I don't know if he was a committed L- Luciferian, but he's one of these figures that's above the Cold War dialectics. What I'm trying to get at. Yes. And there's some other figures like that that pop up. Robert Maxwell was kind of playing both sides. Um, Arm and Hammer, if you know, if you've heard of him, he seems to be one of these figures that's. Um, helping KGB and the CIA at the same time, um, and that's because I think there's a bigger game at play, and that's precisely what what uh, Quigley's talking about, and that's what we see in movies like Eyes Wide Shut. That's why they're so helpful because I think Kubrick is saying you want to know who really runs things. You know, it's these uh, you know no quote noble British elite secret society cult leaders
0: that's uh and, and when it gets to and i heard you bring this up with clyde lewis a couple of weeks ago there too and i don't know if you and i had, had ever talked about it obviously it's a a fabled letter but pike's letter about the the three world wars and um i mean w- w- that out of the way and not even being considered people have always been out there saying that the cold war was a managed crisis through and through and that above that was people who knew that they were building the world into a another big confrontation that would eventually come to, uh, come to bear um, a a weakened and weary christian world up against the full bore of atheist nihilism and it's just going to come together and and it's going to be a gigantic clash to which uh, so many people are going to be losing their their faith. So many people are going to be losing their lives at the end of it when communism and Christ, the Christian world finally destroy each other. That would be the time for the arrival of a of a true Luciferian aeon. Yep. And uh, I, I, I wonder what you think. Uh, Where you think that may, if we're being set up for anything like that right now, of course, that says it's triggered by a clash between Jews and Muslims. And then everybody else comes in, you know, taking sides, and then boom, all of a sudden the world has been laid to waste. But um, this is the, uh, there's so much tension building among world powers right now and as we know from the great resetters they are ripe right now for a major global transformation and there's nothing more transformative than a war
2: yeah it's definitely possible so you know like I said to to Clyde it's really difficult to you know to determine the authenticity of that letter it doesn't look like anybody's really documented for sure that, that it does exist however when we read the writings of the Fabians and Blavatsky, Besant, Bailey, and these kinds of figures, when we read, um, you know, tragedy and hope, we get an overall picture of something kind of like that. Now tragedy and hope doesn't go into the future per se. Uh, but it does talk about the need to have, uh, you know, supercomputers basically running a future society. That middle chapter tragedy and hope says that. So, even though he does say that the two world wars in uh, uh the 20th century were essentially um, engineered you could say by the power elite uh he doesn't necessarily say there will be a third war uh some of the writers who believe in the necessity for this kind of conflict speak in that way um you know we have bernard lewis and samuel b huntington talking about clash of civilizations and there's a mass there's an appendix i think in the Huntington's book where he does speculate of a possibility of a future third world war um so that's only possible and it does in other words it even though that's probably not a real document like it does kind of seem like a real sort of plan. and the closest thing that I can think of to that that does exist is what Quigley talks about and what I what is in um so I found a there's a uh, two things there's a there was a, uh, under Stalinist Russia, there was a guy who was caught, who I think was a Trotskyite, and they get they did an interrogation. It's it's kind of a famous interrogation. His name is Rako- Rakovsky, I think. Mm. Um, it's kind of a long interrogation, and again, maybe this isn't a real document, but it, it seems to ring true. And if you read that interrogation it's famously known as the i think it's called the red symphony it talks about this being a managed dialectic and it kind of talks about that out of the dialectic that we get this new order this new aeon the only other thing i can think of that really is the closest thing to an explicit occult proof per se is that there there was a satanist guy from australia i think it's authentic uh and he did a long essay, uh, before he died and he, he predicted what would come in the future. He died, he died I think in 2010 or 11 and he wrote this big long eulogy essay about his life and what to expect. Now, if none of that stuff had happened, and especially the the crazy stuff that has happened in the last three years in Australia, if that had never happened, I might've been like, eh, okay. So this is just some random dude, just talking smack or whatever. But so many things in that guy's, um, essay have come true and he said stuff like, you know, get ready, you'll see in the future that Australia will be like the uh, tip of the spear for, you know, the coming order, uh, new order of the ages, the coming control, they're going to lock down, it's going to be crazy, he says all this crazy stuff, he's like, you're going to notice the real tyranny here in Australia first, he claimed because there's so many Satanists in the government in Australia, that was back in 2010 and then at the end of the this essay, he's got this really weird things where he's like when we get this in place, it will be the satanic aeon and we will get rid of the profane. They're going to be wiped off, you know, kind of like the Georgia Guidestones type of stuff. So, I mean, there's one, uh, you know, satanic document from like 2010 that, that seems to me to be pretty authentic. So how, I think would, all these things are pretty, pretty close to that.
0: What, geopolitically now, geopolitically, how do you see how do you see everything going right now with the, escalations with, uh, with Russia? Because it's, it's getting, it's getting to the point where, um, there's, there's nothing, there's nowhere else to go and, uh, it's not even a proxy war anymore. It's just, it's just all out there. And I, I ask you this not because, um, for, for any other reason, then there is a major, uh, holding pattern with the Davos crew who have all, already told us in so many words what kind of systems what kind of world they are ready to usher in if only we had some way of just wiping the slate clean um uh war would be a great way for the 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 slate to be wiped clean without them taking responsibility for the last paradigm being completely raped and pillaged but um from this standpoint what do you what do you see happening and um and where we go from here
2: i did an interview last year with a guy who's a friend um he's just a he was a a marine um southeast asia analyst for many many years and we did an interview and his opinion was that it would lead to uh, a larger war we we did that interview last year and then a few months ago i did a a interview with colonel douglas mcgregor who's pretty well known and pretty outspoken he's He's great he's i love that guy yeah, we did an interview about this, and his opinion at that time was, you know, that it won't be it won't be like a global conflict, but that uh, he he believed that Russia would end up victorious. Um, I don't know, you know, where it's going or what how big it'll get. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of here trying to figure it out from behind a computer screen and from behind a bunch of pages of books. Right? So so I don't know where it's going to go, but it definitely could be, like you said, a means to where they would move into the next phase of the great reset because i definitely believe that what's going on is phases of a business plan Hmm. and so they'll they'll run different things uh different war games and and operations to see how well they move the agenda forward and if they don't they got to have these big catalyzing events so if they if if, for example a new um p-a-n-d-e-m-i-c doesn't work then you know maybe a, a a big global war could be something more effective i don't but i mean. Whether that's the case, I don't know, but it certainly could be the case. And that has the, the reason Ukraine and Russia are such a big deal is that, like you were asking earlier about what was the point of the world wars. Well, Quigley says that the two world wars in the last century were basically about the Atlantis' power block, which is Anglo-American establishment, essentially exhausting the resources and power uh, powers that could potentially challenge them. So World War One and World War Two had the effect of basically getting rid of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and then through the Cold War, Russia. So those were the two main uh, challengers, according to Quigley, and the two World Wars and the Cold War were, in his estimation, and other people too, like people at Stratford and other they've echoed the same analysis that they were effect; those conflicts were effective in depleting, exhausting, and draining the potential challengers. And so I think that the even though russia has a lot of problems and is not um explicitly some you know revival of uh, some giant christian country that's like setting up a new christian empire i mean i don't think that's all kind of exaggerated and silly i think the concern if you read somebody like jacques attali you know he says in his book that the biggest concern for the globalists in the coming decades up into 2030 40 and 50 is the resurgence of tradition and so they're concerned that Christianity, tradition, these kinds of ideas could make a return because of the unpopularity of globalism. So it could be that they're projecting into the future that Russia could represent a symbolism, even if it's not a very good example of Christianity. It might represent a symbol of Christianity in the return of tradition, because as Quigley says the beginning of Tragedy and Hope, the main reason that the Atlantis' power block was concerned with Austro-Hungarian Empire and Russia was because they represent a different ethos, different ideology to the sea the power, which the sea power is necessarily tied up in the markets and monetarism. The land power is necessarily tied up in fixity, stability, and resources. And so they're not naturally given to uh, inflated fiat currency. Right. They're given to fixity and, and nomos, or the law of the land. And so the law of the sea, the British imperial model, which apparently the you know the U.S. empire has adopted, is that's why they have to extend neoliberal ideologies because it's kind of bound up with the ethos of Anglo pragmatism. So that's why they have to go to war against anything. Quigley says this; he says this in the first 300 pages. Like, it's a, a the the motivating power of the West has to go to war against anything that might represent objectivity, truth religion and authority
0: and you can take that it's so it it works so perfectly because you take that and you just minimize it you go to the microcosmic level of that and you just see how any one-on-one interaction with a with your average progressive is like uh, on a a college campus any of these other uh the the way that they have retooled them their their uh their propaganda to be packaged for four-year-olds there's a reason why they go after four-year-olds because that is the that's the only room of uh of of consciousness that would actually take this kind of fantastical thinking and and, and internalize it for a lifetime's worth of folly and i uh and, and it really is like a war it's just when you you individualize it or you can go out into the open sea like you said it's uh, it's incredible to see that scale
2: it also helps to look at this from the perspective, not of like the high-level geopolitical elites, like a Kissinger or Brzezinski or Jacques Attali. It really helps to read like spy biographies and people who are on the ground putting this stuff into play and the techniques and tactics they use. Because when you under, when you understand and see the techniques and tactics, it all kind of falls apart, and you don't, you don't fall for this kind of stuff. Um, so I've made a big deal out of this uh, Miles Copeland Game of Nations book because. Uh, you might think, oh, well, it's like James Bond stuff, and he's you know seducing women, and he's like driving around in cars. No, it's not any of that. He's a consultant, a corporate consultant, who goes in and uh, organizes the, the modernization of Egypt. So in this book, it's about why would we modernize uh, uh, Egypt? And he says, when we modernize countries and we industrialize them, he says, it's not because we want them to have a better life right we're not altruistic he says it's a zero sum game it's pure po- power pragmatic politics and get this let me let me ask you I, I know you'll know this but just for for a theoretical question who do you think a famous spy cia operative who do you think he recommends at the end of his book to read so that you can understand what their long term big plan is who might you guess just take a couple guesses uh, uh, of who's...
0: another author or a certain storyline yeah.
2: No, like, what author should I read if I want to understand the big picture as to what we're up to in all these countries and all these foreign operations? Oh, no,
0: well, you already mentioned Bonds. So is it Ian Fleming?
2: No, like, think, think more, uh, uh, more in terms of like global elites. Oh man. well, I don't. Well, now I'm, I'm stumped. So he says, go read Bertrand Russell, read the CFR <laughs> publications, <laughs> and read the Rand Corporation.
0: Oh, so in I, other words, I wouldn't have, I would not have gotten that, but uh, yeah. it, it makes sense.
2: Yeah, and so in other words, if you want to understand what the CIA is doing in all these other countries, he says, "Go read the technocrats. We're there to change the the face, the landscape of these countries not for the good of the people, but he says to make this these these civilizations ready for the great reset, the new the new age." the new world that we're bringing them into. He doesn't use the phrase great reset, but it's the same, it's all the same power uh, uh, elites involved in the great reset that he says, go read. Like he says, go read Herman Kahn, Rand Corporation, uh, James Burnham, Managerial Society, uh, Machiavelli, uh, read a bunch of the eco crap about how we got to worship the environment. He says, go read Bertrand Russell about controlling, uh, you know, population because Bertrand Russell was a Fabian socialist. So. And one little side note, too, by the way, he's got an amazing chapter where he talks about, he says that we play an amazing game using T-E-R-R-O-R-I-S-T-S. He says we use them and play them like, he says they are useful losers that we play with finesse. We play them with finesse. So here you have, one of the most famous uh, CIA operatives in his biography, Miles Copeland, who is, by the way, the relative of Stuart Copeland of the police, talking about all these amazing deep state operations that he did in Egypt. And and that the end game was all to bring in technocracy.
0: See, this is where my this is where I, I, I like to sit back and wonder about motivations, because what you just read right there and what you're talking about with them. That is how one person that is how a general and his staff would sit down and discuss an enemy How to defeat them on the battlefield. Meanwhile when you really go and you you uh, You 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 lay out what they're actually discussing They're discussing how to impose their will on you and I who I think for the most part and everybody in this audience is really just concerned about going, going to a job every day providing for a family Uh, reading some books, as I said last night, uh, having a couple of well-timed barbecues in the summertime. What the hell is driving them to see us as an enemy to be conquered? I mean, what kind of threat? I mean, if they just had played... They have so much power and so much influence. They can sleep and dine anywhere they want. They have access to the entire world, including Antarctica. What are we holding them back from attaining? That's what I don't understand. That's why I always wonder how much of this is spiritual because, I, because they have the material world. I mean, I, 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 don't, I, I, don't even, I don't care if there's trillionaires out there. Just allow me to, to, to build up my little hill of beans and enjoy my life. I I don't understand how we are seen as an enemy to be conquered. I really don't.
2: Well, I think the uh, motivating philosophy here beyond uh, Fabian socialism, which is more of a political uh, approach, the motivating ideology is social Darwinism. And so from that vantage point, um, anybody else is a potential competitor for uh, resources, power, and control. So you can't let uh, you know self-motivated, self-engaged individuals. And the, the Pentagon had a, a statement about that uh, like ten years ago. That the number one enemy is uh, self-engaged and self-motivated individuals was yep. their number one enemy. So you you, you, pre- you present a threat because you can't allow anybody, not just to ask questions outside of the system. You can't allow the system. The system has to determine the questions. And this is a key thing that people uh, misunderstand. Eric Vogelin has a whole thing about this, the famous uh, 20th century philosopher. And he says that the way that, that, that people are controlled mainly through you know, mainstream media and this kind of stuff is that there's basically like a circle. And he says that the system determines what can be talked about and what things matter within this circle. So you can have a fake left wing and a fake right wing and a fake, you know, the news, everything in the news and this kind of stuff, everything in education, it's all within this circle. And so if you ask a question outside of the circle, it's a nonsense question because it doesn't even exist. Hmm. So the system says from the outset what questions you're allowed to ask because it says what types of things even matter or even possible. So that's why the, that's how the control occurs. We did a really good podcast uh, with as me, Dr. James Lindsay and uh, Stephen Copland, who's a, was a former Pentagon intelligence guy. We did a big three hour podcast where we broke down this structure. And I don't agree with, with everything that he says, but he has Stephen Copland has a really good breakdown of how uh, this works in terms of, he calls it a magic circle. And he's not literally ta- I mean, you, you could apply it to like ritual magic, but he's like the magician determines everything within that circle. And as long as you're within that circle, you will never figure out what's going on because you can't even ask questions outside of that circle. It's that simple. Yep. And that's the entire structure, of the mainstream media, Hollywood, the news, like it, it all determines that circle and it makes sure that you stay within that circle. Don't go outside that circle. And if you do, those aren't even real cool. There's no such thing as anything outside that circle. It's, oh, so you want to you want to talk about Luciferianism? That's outside the circle. It doesn't exist. You can't ask that question. It's a great descriptor. Uh, I I
0: often refer to um, the the media class, the political class, as the magician class, and it's just because it's it, everything, anything that you can you can describe to be almost magical. The fact that. All they need to do is repeat something over and over again, and they're, they they just they will it into existence. It's a, it's a, a constant flexing, a flexing and bragging, and that's why when you bring up those two those publications from you know CFR think tank types, and they say, hey, go listen. If you if uh, if you want to go see where the world is going, then follow the technocrats. There's no better modern um, example, as you know than the published works of Klaus Schwab in the last couple of years. Uh, from the great narrative to the, great, the fourth industrial revolution. They, to, to be able to put out, out there any kind of altruistic drive for these people is simply ridiculous. They, 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 they ooze hatred and disdain for everything about us. There they are talking about how they want to be able to genetically alter us to be allergic to meat, to make us smaller, to take away our diets and replace it with bugs, to live in virtually created worlds it's uh they hate humanity it oozes out of every pore so um that's just it's just the easiest thing that's why i say it's a very apocalyptic time as far as there being nothing standing between us and them to even hide there's no fig there's no fig leaf left nothing it's all out there
2: yeah and it has been for a long time i think that's the weird part is that you know, so many of these things were already in, you know, the, the high level books and white papers and all that for a long, long time. A lot of, a lot of us didn't know that we didn't have access to that. Um, and now we don't even need all these white papers and books and all that, which, I mean, it's, you know, it's good to go back and see and understand all this stuff, which is, you know, what we, we do over on my site was we, we lecture through a lot of these yeah. texts because a lot of people don't have time, time to do it. But I mean, really all it takes, like you said is Like, if you go on Twitter, you'll notice people are putting up, like, 30-second clips of people from the World Economic Forum saying this very stuff. We have, you know, basically Klaus and Noyival Harari getting up there saying, There is no consciousness. It does not exist. It is all a fiction. However, we will upload your consciousness to the cloud and you will live forever. Well, how are you going to upload my consciousness when you just said there's no such thing as consciousness? I mean, they outright outright contradict contradict themselves, that should tell you that they're just big level con men, right? Mm -hmm. But they are con men with a lot of power, with a lot of money, with a lot of resources, um, and they do have the ability, I think, to undo the existing civilization. So that what I think the Great Reset is, is like you said, it's that year zero, year one, which is the old Maoist, the old French revolutionary model of trying to wipe away everything that came before, hitting the, quote, reset button, starting everything over, and, you know, that they do have the ability to Severely dis- disrupt and and tear down the existing society, which I think that's what they're involved in. I think a lot of what's going on with all the degeneracy and all the pushes of, of all the crazy stuff that, that we never would have dreamed of to even five ten years ago. That's an intentional plan. That's part of like psychological warfare, cultural warfare, economic warfare to tear down the existing structure because they believe in a kind of a form of creative destruction. They think that that's necessary hmm. to bring in. The Great Reset Um, Very well said
0: um, very well said, and I'm I'm right there. It, it's uh, at this point, it's not even something that needs to be conceptualized. It's 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 very very painted out with the borders, Absolutely. the shading. It's all out there now. Um, for this last leg of our talk, I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, books, about fictional works, about Hollywood. Um, you mentioned Ian Fleming uh, a little while ago. I know you've done deep deep dives into into Bond, both the the films, the books, all that, but I never, I never asked you about this. Have you ever watched or read uh, George R. R. Martin's uh, adapted works, Game of Thrones uh, in particular?
2: Uh, I haven't read it. I haven't had the time to dig into. I mean they're you know they're gigantic. Um, I did watch the series and I did do a breakdown of it, how it kind of paralleled uh, a lot of geopolitical stuff. So mm-hmm. if you go on my YouTube, you can kind of unless it's hidden in the algorithm, they hide a lot of those old videos. but uh, there is a, a an old uh, breakdown when they did when the finale came out where I, I reviewed kind of the whole series and talked about how you know it does have insights into real world geopolitical stuff i'm not saying it's a one-to-one map i'm just saying that there's insights into courtly intrigues and espionage and blackmail and you know power plays you know all of that stuff is there in the series which kind of makes it interesting uh, i'm not like a huge game of thrones freak or fanatic i thought it was okay mainly for those kinds of insights but in my view you know actually dune I haven't read all the novels but you know the novel Dune and the movie Dune are actually they make the same point in a lot fewer pages. <laughs> I mean
0: yeah my my buddy Matt would like to would love uh hearing you say that he's uh he he loves Dune. I I've watched both the David Lynch and the the recent one that came. I know I don't know when part 2 is coming out. I'm I'm excited for it because this latest one it got me. Uh, it got me a lot more than anything. I haven't read anything though, and I'd like to jump into it. Um, but you know, what about? Um, I know that you watched Babylon. You did a little bit on that recently. I was interested in seeing that too. I don't watch a lot these days, but um, that's a very important time. I think in the 1920s, you're talking about. Yeah. Weimar Germany, they are they are going through a, a, a rapid decline in culture around that time. It's starting to heat up. And that uh, a lot of what made Weimar Germany so decadent and disgusting um, has been thriving here for for a very long time now. And, um, and I, I wanted to, to know a little bit more about that. But, you know, I have a question here from an audience member that may be can just give you some uh, room to talk in general about Hollywood at this point, because you watch a lot of movies still. Matra Luna says would like to uh, would like both your takes on what you think the most effective narratives currently coming out of Hollywood are. So not just relegated to one. Jay, what are you seeing um, as a, uh, a, a very very prominent push right now?
2: Uh, well, it kind of seems like Hollywood's narratives are not that effective. I mean, they're kind of on the downturn because if you look at, for example, Babylon, the, the Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie film, it ended up being, uh, monetarily speaking, a giant flop, uh, which surprised me because it was a really well-made movie. It's a very odd movie, and the director said, you know, this is intended to be a critique of Hollywood. So, um, That one is worth watching. It's just a very different... It's almost an experimental film in many ways. So if you go into Babylon thinking that you're getting um, one thing, you're going to be surprised because it's something totally different probably than what you expect, especially as it gets into the second half. It's very long. It's a three-hour movie. And it's actually chronicling the history of Hollywood told through four main characters, um, which is probably too many characters to tell a story through. That's why it probably didn't do well. It was too long and it starts out the first half it's like a comedy Mm -hmm. dark comedy satire and then the second half it turns into this really kind of dark esoteric movie and it gets kind of trippy and psychedelic at the end so it's very odd Um, in ways I really liked it I felt like it was a flawed masterpiece like it could have been a perfect encapsulation of Hollywood it's just maybe I don't know it's just just odd I don't know how to describe it but we did a breakdown of it Um, I do recommend seeing it if you want to see kind of a uh, an allegorical telling of the history of Hollywood through the eyes of four characters and the tragedies that their lives end up in. I mean, It's really only one character makes it out of the whole mess, and that's because he leaves Hollywood, and he ends up with a family. So even though it has some really kind of grotesque elements in it, it actually has a good, a good moral and a good message and you know the other characters the margot robbie character the brad pitt character i won't spoil the movie but you know they don't end up well but then there's a separate film uh, or a series babylon berlin which takes place in weimar germany which is documenting the degeneracy of weimar germany in a, in a very fascinating neo-noir take which in season two focuses on uh german film which was at that time also the only it was actually very uh satanic so the first Film um, sequences were that were starting to experiment with satanic imagery, like like in Metropolis, were in Germany, and it's known as German Expressionism. Uh, Hollywood at that time was was decadent, but not at all interested in all this symbolic stuff. So it's too you could I would say watch both because they're good comparisons between like what's going on in terms of German film in in the nineteen teens and twenties, and then what's going on in Hollywood at that same time. It's it's very different approaches, but uh, Babylon Berlin is fascinating because in Season 2, it doesn't. it's not just about the Bolshevik Revolution and its connections to Germany and German intelligence and the brief uh, 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 Bolshevik government that was in Germany. So Germany actually had a Bolshevik government for a few months. The, the revolution succeeded for a few months and then failed and fell apart. Um, and all of that comes up in Babylon Berlin. They even include like the conspiratorial elements and the gaming of the stock market and all this stuff, the stock market crash. And how it's leading up to the rise of Tiny Mustache Man. Men. Yeah. Um, season 2 of Babylon Berlin, I'll make this really quick, is actually fascinating because it's about not just German expressionism and, and Satanism in the film culture. They actually have a lot of the, the, uh, the actors and directors, they're part of a Satanic secret society. And they go and they have these eyes wide shut rituals at a giant uh, mansion in Germany. Yeah. Wow. and then in yeah that's in season 2 and then in season 2 i'm not going to spoil it cuz it's a very well done show it actually ends with um how it, mind control MK Ultra, and transhumanism are coming out of uh this this time frame there's
0: a lot of that going on right now, and I agree with you. And uh, I haven't seen too much that's new. I, I I jump into a lot of classics these days, and I'm rewatching stuff that makes me uh, that, that 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 I get a lot of enjoyment out of. So I, I have to expand a little bit more. I think the newest thing I've been watching has been like Yellowstone, which has uh, a good a good amount of social commentary baked into that as well. But I would say that. I agree wholeheartedly that there isn't a lot of effective narratives coming out of Hollywood right now.
2: And well, uh, yeah, Babylon Berlin is German, so I mean, I'm not. This doesn't make it good. I'm just saying that like, that's not coming out of Hollywood. So if, if you want to watch a deep show with an effective historical narrative, I mean, Babylon Berlin is probably one of the best shows I've seen in the last several years. The only other show I can think of that that's, that's that good that I've watched in the last ten years um, is The Americans. The you know the story about the the KGB embedded operatives during the cold war in the U S that's an excellent TV show. One of the best TV shows ever. So, I mean, yeah, those are really good. I mean, there is some gross stuff in Babylon, Berlin. I don't have to worry. I have to warn you about that. Um, but yeah, Babylon is also definitely worth watching for sure for all the symbolism and, and I won't spoil it, but I mean, they, they have a, a descent into the underworld element, uh, before the character, uh, has a very sort of psychedelic experience at the end of, Babylon, not Babylon, Berlin, but Babylon.
0: Well, you know, I think the next time you come on, whenever that. Is, oh, wait, are, are we still? Gonna, are we still doing that? Uh, that 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 group call uh, in February?
2: Uh, are you talking about uh, the day tapes, or are you talking about your thing that you wanted to do?
0: No, 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 no. no. Well, if you still, I, I, ho- I hope you're still uh, interested in doing book club in March. That's for Brave New World.
2: Okay, I, yeah, now I'm down for that. Sure, and. Uh... What are, what's the other thing you're talking about? Well, with well,
0: with, with Timothy Gordon.
2: Oh, that yeah yeah. I was I think we should do the day tapes. We don't have to. We can do whatever you want. No no definitely definitely. I just want to make I've sure. I've been re-listening to the day tapes uh, this week. I've gotten through the it's four, it's four hours. I went back through the I'm through the first two hours and it's it's blowing me away. It's crazy.
0: Okay, so then what I was going to say, and then I re- remembered that yeah, I think it's February sixth or something. like no, February second, we said we wanted to do. A show about 1969 Rockefeller meeting, planning the technocratic yes. dystopia we're now entering. So that'll be February second, but some other okay. time, Jay. I got we gotta have you back on, and we gotta talk about Laurel Canyon. That would be, oh, I think, yeah. I think that would be a great. Show. I know you've done a lot of uh, One with of my that. topics. Yeah, great. Uh, so because I, I haven't had a deep dive in that in a long time, it'd be great to talk about. Um, but uh, but this show, this episode was was fantastic as a standalone as well. It, pl- just let everybody know where they can find you. I know you got the fourth hour tomorrow on InfoWars, right? Uh, where else are you going to be?
2: Uh, i was supposed to do uh, Elijah Schaefer's show as well. Um, that should be in uh, maybe next week, I think, February 1st or 2nd, somewhere in there. Uh, we got some big interviews coming up. Um, I just did a big interview with Dr. Steve Turley. He's got a, a gigantic channel that'll be going up in the next couple of days, so look for that. Uh, I've got uh, multiple interviews and podcasts this week. Got an anarchist debate this weekend, atheist anarchist debate. We got um, the live event. That's what I want to promote. So uh, if you're in the uh, Austin, Houston area, we'll be uh, live in in Austin, February 11th. Uh, Me, my wife, Jamie, and uh, our buddy BG Cumbie, the comedian. um, We're going to be doing a a full-on, you know, basically all day event so it's about five or six hours and if you go to Eventbrite, or you can go to the top of my twitter page you can get tickets for that it's a lot of fun there's uh you know about two or three hours, two hours of comedy and then we do about three hours of full on uh high level information and and geopolitical topics we'll be signing and selling books as well so is voldemort 11, voldemort 11 be there from two to seven huh is voldemort gonna be there uh, not that I know of. There will be some other, there might be some other uh, big names that you might recognize there. I can't say for sure. Cause I don't know if they're going to show up, but some, there might be some. Um, and then we got, uh, I just finished a full philosophy course. If, if people are interested in learning and learning philosophy, you can go over to autonomy university, Richard Groves autonomy university. Uh, it's a 40 hours ish course that we did it took 12 weeks. It was a lot of work. We go through the whole history of Western philosophy from the pre Socratic's all the way up to, uh, Nietzsche, existentialism, and postmodernism. So you can get that over at uh, Autonomy University. You can get my books at my website, uh, Jay'sAnalysis.com, in the shop. I'm also on Rockfin, and uh, you can go and get the uh, supplements that are my sponsor, chalk.com, uh, best supplements out there.
0: Jay, it's always great to have you on. I have Jay'sAnalysis.com in the the description, and I'll uh, I, I'm looking forward to having you back. Send my best to the wife, and enjoy the rest of your week, my friend.
2: Awesome, thanks Frank All
0: right, you Have a good weekend too Take care, there you go Bye. Jay Dyer It's been a little while But I think that hit the spot That hit the spot Man Had a lot of wanted to talk about And we got to go do it all And more So uh, 823, gonna take a really quick break When we come back Going to jump into the Super Chats And take your calls And see what you guys and gals think About all the banter today Lots of fun Lots of fun, all right? BRB.
1: Welcome to Intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Yeah, Intermission.
3: quite frankly quite frankly quite frankly
1: quite frankly quite frankly quite frankly
3: quite frankly quite frankly quite frankly
0: quite frankly quite frankly quite frankly quite frankly quite frankly
3: quite frankly 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 quite 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 frankly quite
4: frankly quite frankly quite frankly quite
0: So, got to play that song with the band again uh, for the first time since August on Tuesday night in practice, just getting loosed up, loosened up, said, so play I'm Like You, that we did that, a couple other things. We're going to refurbish an old song. We hit, we now have, we, we said to ourselves, okay, you know what, it's the new year, let's come up with at least... I don't know, maybe two, two, or, two or three singles that we can release in 2023. Let's write some new music and put it on out there. We are now sitting on six new songs. Some of them are almost completely written. Six new songs. And, um, and, and one song that we're going to be refurbishing. We have seven. Plus, plus a cover that I want. I want so badly to do that Def Leppard, Love Bites so badly i just want to play i want to produce a cover of love bites i think it would be so good i don't know where we're going to have time to record eight songs this year but hopefully we do it because that would be badass and then we'll play it live in live streams for you guys and i understand that there is a duplicate stream on youtube i don't know what the hell that's about it's a weird glitch so we have, I don't, we have like a, a thousand or so people who are watching in one place, 500 were are in another place. Um, great numbers elsewhere. Really great stuff. Twitch has been out of commission tonight, and Theta's out of commission. So I got to figure out what that's all about. But um, I hope that everybody has made appropriate adjustments, and they're having a good time. I am. All right. What else we have? Let's go into the super chats and see what people are thinking. Uh, Stostube jumps in, says, "Great, great guest, Frank. Great Thursday, my good man. Thank you, thank you. I'm having a good time tonight." Linny Fay says, "If we're living in the end times, do you think we're blessed to witness it, or are we cursed?" No, I don't think we're cursed. I don't think we're cursed and i take uh, challenges i like challenges and um you just got to you just got to do the work that's ahead of you i wouldn't take anything personal that's i'd say obviously there are people who got to live in more stable peaceful times in this country um there's always horrors going on. There's always there's always something unwanted being inflicted on those who don't want it. And but I don't know end times. What does it even mean? There's so many uh, there's so many different things to different ways to even uh, color that in. But I'm gonna try to color it in tomorrow night because I wanna I wanna get into a little bit more of the I don't know. The uh, the Vatican end of things again with this Benedict stuff and with garabandal the the Marian apparition in in Spain uh, because there there's a lot when you think about the popes there th- this one particular message that uh, the Blessed Mother supposedly passed along because I out of all the Marian a- apparitions I I don't know. Uh, Garibaldi too well, but it, ha- it has come up a couple times in the show. But one of the things in all of the exchanges of that apparition, that vision, was uh, was this idea that there's only four popes left, and the way that the math shook out because we were still living in the time of John the Twenty Third at that point, that uh, that Benedict was going to be Benedict was the fourth and last. And then we would be at the end of time at the end of the times not the end of all time What I understand but end of the times what happens there? Supposedly if I remember correctly, there's supposed to be a, a big sign a huge sign that everybody would see as Like a final warning that no it would be very hard for people to to deny what they that what they've seen and then afterwards If there is no such change then then we're talking about uh, chastisement so I'm keeping my eyes to the sky wonder what you'll be doing but blessing or a curse if we're living in the end times hey it had to be somebody why not us it had to be somebody all right let's go over to the the rumble everybody's hanging out but there's no rumble rants on to Foxhole. Got a bunch of stuff here. Let's see what people are saying. Uh Infindit. Infindit. Thank you so much for your cookie. Fringed Weller. Need my Frank fix. Oh, it's great to have you out there, Weller. You provide King. Hi Frank. Can you please remind my mom that she is awesome and usually right? You are a true gift. Well. Vikings mom, you need to know that you are usually right. Now don't let that get to your head. Because if you let it get to your head, you'll never know when you're wrong. And you could be usually right about frivolous things. You could be wrong about some really big things. And you don't wanna you don't wanna you don't wanna be blind to that because I'm blowing your head up right now. But your son uh, your son loves you, and you sound awesome. Let's see. Jay Jewell says the violence of a guilty man pacing used every woke blame. Pathetic. Oh, that's the the guy from Veritas. Sean Joe, thank you. Cave Toad says I'm due for a new tetanus shot and hesitating big time. You would be too. Well, I'm just i have never do I'm never doing it again. Especially, let's say I had a rusty nail. I would be more inclined to consider it. If I had a rusty, orange, flaky nail. Went right through my hand, went right through my arm. It just impaled me. I stepped on it, whatever. I'd be more inclined to consider it at that point. But I sprained my ankle and they gave me a tetanus shot. I was on AstroTurf. It's at the bottom of a, of a dog pile. It was, it was it was it was flag football. even know how that shit happens, but of course everybody just gets a little bit too overzealous. So I'm thinking to myself, I, I I was thinking that to myself, but it didn't I didn't think enough to stop it. Say, no, nah, it's all right. I'm not gonna get tetanus from it. So they told my that's what they told me about uh, about Aurora. You know, you should really get her a, a tetanus shot. She can get tetanus just from playing in the dirt outside. It's like really, okay. So. We'll see. Cave Toad says, We need to talk to your pill.net folks into making a widescreen option to go with the normal or full screen. That would be nice. Widescreen? I thought that they did something like that. Sean Joe, thanks again. Joe Elaine says, Frank, you're killing it with your shows. Joe, thank you for helping me uh, in the chat rooms and, and being such a nice... A nice support for the the live shows. Thank you, Boys Blanc, Witchy Pooh, Cave Toad again. Everyone join the forums. Hey, that's a great that's a great plug right there. Go to Quite Go to the forums, hit forum and join the free forum. It is uh, it's not Reddit, it's not attached to any big lefty platform or anything like that. It's it's just us V Bulletin. And there is there's a lot of open threads associated that are official show threads. that are going to become uh, talk for the show. In fact, I know exactly what's going to happen here. You remember I brought up that we were going to do a show on catching, you know, walking in on your parents doing it, something like that. Um, well, that that thread has been open for some time now, and there is hilarious as as hilarious I knew it was gonna, it was going to be your nightmare is our entertainment on this particular thread and it is it's going to be a good one where is it walking in on your parents or anybody anybody doing it it's just like your your, your world stops spinning for a moment there that has 20 responses i i put it up when did i post that i posted that in august of 2022 that's august of last year i think the perfect night to do that will be on a saturday in february when you know it's valentine's day month all that so i think a saturday night show we're going to jump into that and have some fun that's going to be a lot of good laughs and i'm pretty sure that the calls that come in will be great too lemon faces are not invited okay so don't uh, I, I, how many people in the chat rooms have already typed uh no thanks uh, I'll be doing something else that night. I'm sure somebody did. Don't worry. You weren't invited. Okay. So yeah, go to the forum because not only are there there are these official threads there, including the, the latest book thread, book club thread, but below it, oh, look at that. Cave Toad is right there. Today at 828, Laurel Canyon Deep Dive. So he must have just published that as an open thread. Uh, listening to me talk to Jay Dyer. But there's a lot of great stuff in here that has been that has been posted by a lot of really interesting people. Go and jump into some of those threads and those will never get taken down. Thankfully. All right, where else we at? Um, Zedanon says, "Taking it back is awesome." Just finished the restream. Much love. Thank you. I had a great. T- I always have a great time with uh, with Adil and Zach. It's been a good time there, and uh, it's even more fun now that we. It's been picked up by Badlands, and there's an additional three to five thousand people who are watching at any given time. So there's a little bit more skin in the game too. I lo- I love. I love when things like that happen. Uh, Memento Octor says, hi, Frank. Hi, Frank. Uh, this is lucky in Montana. Dope stands for data on previous engagement. There you go. I, I'm not a, a Marine tank commander, so I knew either dope was a, when he's talking about that, that has to be entered in every day. That makes a lot of, uh, a lot of sense. I knew it was either a term used in the field that I don't know anything about or a typo had to be a term because it was a very um very deliberately written email meticulously written email thank you for that memento dope stands for data on previous engagement things you need to know if you're going to operate a tank an abrams tank correctly which the ukrainians are not going to be able to do Cave Toad sends an EMP and rocks everybody's world. Says again, top tier guest Frank, keep us, keep up the good fight. Uh, Anon's friends and new to critical thinking need this. God bless. Thank you, thank you, Witchy Poo, Memento, Pam D, Distilled, Mazington. Says for more anon and Jay Jewel says great show, book club fantastic last night. Thank you, Frank and then a whole sleeve of cookies from stow stube and distilled and i'm just uh, i'm getting doused with amazing things here delona 55 shows up with the fleet after after blessing us last night so and Jay jules has great song awesome and creepy video well the video the video concept largely put together by abe sinclair i did tell him i wanted face off I wanted these clips from face-off in there and I also wanted the face melting clip from Raiders of the Lost Ark in there too. So everything else as far as the AI um, hyper hyper reality world Concept for the I'm like you video. uh, that was all Abe and it worked out great He made the EMP video too. So most of them vapor we we'll give him a whole bunch of notes, and then uh, a month or so later it comes out and it looks spiffy as hell. Hopefully we can get him some new stuff to work on soon. All right. All right, let's take a couple of calls. 845-914-595-6953. I'd love to hear from you. What are your, what are your thoughts for tonight? Anything stand out more than anything else? The lines are open. I am in the Discord, so you can jump in there as well. Where is everybody that's what I want to know and in the meantime I can also throw a few things out that we had uh, had started not too long ago And that is the thread on very weird food combinations. I said we'd be circling back around to this So while we're waiting for people to show up I want to be able to jump into this All right, where are we? Oh, boy. While, here's one from Smooth Dickens. While hiking on Continental Dibide Trail, Dibide Trail, I don't know how to say that. I always had a craving for cottage cheese, and whenever I would get the town to rest and resupply, I would get a bag of Doritos Flamas, that is the spicy AF Doritos, and dip them in the huge tub of cottage cheese. I still do this just not as frequently that does sound terrible That just sounds I I don't know (laughs) that sounds weird weird that sounds like something I would only consider if I was stoned let's take a call Chad from Utah what's going on Chad
3: how you doing Frankie
0: hey Chad uh you get on get off of the speakerphone my friend please is it better now uh, a little bit there you go so what's on your friend oh, what's on your mind my friend what's on your friend
3: <laughs> uh, I just wanted to say I love that song it's a great song dude.
0: thank you thank you I'm glad you liked it and,
3: and, you, and you need to play that death leopard song with
0: one hand one arm oh uh, see, I don't know I don't know that, that would just be an undue burden for me I have <laughs> I worked I've worked very hard to keep both of my hands and I just want to use both of them. <laughs>
3: Right on. I, I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that. I just wanted to say that about your songs. That's that's a badass song. You guys are badass anyway. But thanks,
0: dude. Well, thank you. I, I hope that we can work a little bit more consistently and get some more stuff out to you guys uh, to enjoy, because that's a that's a part of my life. I, I really want to keep a, alive and healthy. And you know, uh, you got That's a group effort right there. So I hope that we can all stay on the same page and get you some some new music to listen to.
3: Absolutely. I enjoy it. Thanks,
0: Frankie. All right. Take care. Take care, Chad, from Utah. Maybe I can submit some music to Tim Poole and he can sign me to his his label when he makes one one day since he's a music mogul as well, Tim Poole. Would love to be signed to Tim's label. Let's go and call uh, 785. You're on the air. Who's this? Hey, uh, it's Chuck. How's it going, Frank? Hey, it's great to hear you. Yeah, I just wanted to call
3: uh, and say great show. Uh, I like uh, your guest tonight. He was very articulate. Gave me a lot to think about. I wrote down three books I got to get now, so mm. it's like kick ass. I got a lot of stuff to do.
0: There's a lot. You know, the great thing is, at least in our circles. There's a lot more people reading books again. It's good to, to, to cruise the Internet. Uh, it's good to, to have a couple of key Telegram channels that you're subscribed to. But you got to pick up well-sourced books again. And you have to have a physical library or all this stuff. It's just like, uh, it's I don't know, it's like some kind of a weird uh, cotton candy addiction.
3: That's kick-ass. I appreciate that. I'll, I'll look into that. I did call to kind of follow up on a show earlier this week when you were talking about no winners on the VACs. Um, with the passage of a national Defense authorization, uh, I've had a religious accommodation in with the National Guard for uh, since they announced the mandate. And uh, now that all goes away. So I don't feel like I'm a winner so much as a survivor. So uh, you had guests on that, that called in and said, "Hey, there's no winners," and I agree, that there's really no winners. But I survived, and I'm happy to continue to serve, uh, you know, till I can retire here in a year or so. So uh, good on that, and uh, best wishes. God bless America. Love your show, and wish you all the success in the future.
0: Oh, thank you. I, I wish the the exact <laughs> the exact same thing for you, my friend, and, and thank you. And I'm I'm I'm, I'm happy to. I mean, it's a lot easier for me to be a survivor than other people. A lot easier for me. I'm my own boss, and uh, and it was a no from the beginning. And it was a no from the beginning for many of you out there, too. But I, I have a lot of personal uh, people in my personal life, in my private life, that stood up to the flamethrower and let the flames just pass right over them. And they got out all right. And uh, I, I just I tip my cap to you all. And, and yeah, survival is a great way. Survive. You can look at it that way or you can just keep moving. Knowing that you're in a survival situation, but you're only concentrating on thriving. How do you thrive in a survival situation? Survival situation just needs you to be able to get by with the skin on your back to live to fight another day. But how do we thrive in a survival situation? Because that is the world that we are going to be in for some time now. One thing, one situation is going to beget the next. And it's going to continue to be that That pressure packed daisy chain of events that keeps us weary and keeps us wondering how much can we compromise on and we can't compromise on anything there's no more wiggle room there's no more there's no more room left no more rope left there's no more slack so that's what i say and that's what i ask here's another uh a weird food combination this is from rosie rosie says my parents liked minced garlic On their cereal. What kind of cereal? Like grape nuts? What are you talking about? In fact, I I can't think of any cereal where that would be good. Minced garlic on cereal. With milk? Rosie, there's more. I I need more on that. I need more on, on the minced garlic with the cereal are you talking about mint or what cereal and is milk involved and don't tell me that it was skim because that's not even milk and then Rosie says I like ketchup on mac and cheese uh, uh, I uh, I wouldn't do it but I can I'm trying to imagine it and I don't think it would be that offensive it's just... Odd, to me at least. Let's see, what else? Oh, one more, I'm gonna take another call. This is from Hoop. Hoop says, I like peanut butter sandwiches dipped in chili. No spoon for chili needed, just use the sandwich. Mm. I like, now if you give me grilled cheese, I take grilled cheese sandwiches and I'll dip them in chili. I do that all the time. Haven't done it in a while actually. I don't think I've done it since since late winter 22 like like probably this time last year was probably the last time I did something like that that's not something I would order over the summer barbecue chips dipped in cottage cheese there we go with that again Mullins French dressing or Catalina dressing on thin crust pizza you know I mean on on certain dressings on, on pizza ain't too offensive, especially if you have like there's some pizzerias around here that make really good buffalo chicken pizzas, spicy buffalo chicken pizzas, and on top of everything is a big uh, blue tree blue cheese dressing swirl on all the on the whole p and, and it's great because obviously blue cheese and buffalo chicken wings and that works out well, but uh, I can see how a ranch. Would not be offensive. Something like a ranch. French, I don't know. And then French fries dipped in Wendy's chocolate frosty. That's fine. That's fine. Yep. Not, not Wendy's. But, uh, oh, yeah, Wendy's, the frosty. That's fine. I've definitely done French fries dipped into a into a, a frosty or a shake before because uh, people said, you got to try it. That's another one of those stone things. Like a comfort food, and it's not bad. Surprisingly, not bad. Not good for you, but not bad. Uh, eight thirteen, eight one three. You're on the air. Who's this?
4: Hi, this is Luann in Florida.
0: Luann from Florida. How you doing, Luann? What's the weather like down there?
4: It is actually quite cold, but it's gonna turn really nice Sunday, and then be seasonably uh, unseasonably high next week. So
0: what are we talking?
4: Well, it's going to be in the upper 70s. Uh, it's going to hit eighty one day. But right now, it's like below 60. It's like 58 degrees. Oh, it's, it's, oh
0: it's freezing. That's just freezing.
4: Uh, yeah. Uh, I wanted to, like, chime in on this. How do you thrive um, in a survival situation? Yes. Uh, I lived off-grid in a mobile home that had, like, one-inch thick walls with just a wood stove in central Wisconsin in February, it went down to minus 14 and stayed there for like about two weeks. And, um, my husband at the time who is no longer my husband and you will figure out why he was a city boy from Chicago and I'm a country girl from Ohio. And I was enjoying myself because I liked the basic struggle. I liked stoking the fire every two hours. I liked, uh, when the, uh, Composting toilet froze I had to just you know have a pot to pee in and throw it outside (laughs) Jeez, and
0: this is just a and this is just as a standard way of living or you like to go out on scheduled adventures where you are totally off the grid
4: No, no, we were living there. We had sold our house We were on the land we'd bought where we were gonna build but we were in a mobile home Off-grid by where the barn was gonna go and our well line froze we had a drilled well The guy didn't put it down far enough because the land was really sandy, and it froze. So we had no water. We had um, only a generator. It was a nice generator. It was a Honda. Just turned the key. It started up, 1,100 or 1,800-watt generator. Um, But, you know, you had to struggle. You had to enjoy the struggle, and I enjoyed it. And at one point, I'll never forget, by the light of the battery-powered Coleman, he does this real theatrical thing where he spreads his arms out wide. He says, this is your dream. And I looked at him and I thought to myself, you're done. Because it was just this total difference between me and him. He even said to me, I like to be able to flick a switch and lights come on. And it's like, well, you're just a pussy. (laughs) Pardon my friend. You know,
0: know, listen, I, I gotta say, you're telling me this, and I love your conviction, and I love that this is just the way you want to live. On the other hand, I have a hard time uh, – now, you you know your relationship better than anybody, so I'm not saying that this is all it came down to. No, no, okay.
4: Okay. Oh. Frank, this guy's been done for more than 15 years. This is years ago, and no, I, I only I, lived like this one year. Okay? No, I, so I. I'm not saying I'm a total angel or anything.
0: <laughs> I know. I'm just saying when you, when you, when you are, you're characterizing this guy. All we know about him is that he's this, this dick who just wanted, who just, who, who, uh, who just couldn't let go of this convenience of flipping on a light and have have a switch. Uh, be linked to a light. That's just something that I think we most people in the audience are like, I agree with the guy. So, <laughs> but, you, but you're a special creature, that's all I'm saying. It's just funny to see the dichotomy between you two. I can see why it didn't work out. Well, and
4: you know, this is why it's not going to work out for a lot of people who... Um, are not capable of enjoying the struggle. And and part of it is when I was a little girl, one of the books I loved, one of my first books was Laura Ingalls Wilder, Little House in the Woods. If anybody has read that in the audience, they will understand because it was all about how they survived in a cabin in the woods that was actually on the border of Wisconsin and I think uh, Iowa. Mm. The actual little house, and it was all about how Ma did this and how cold it was, and then Pa had to go in the snow to go get supplies, and how they chopped wood and they smoked the pig meat, and all. It was just, and if you're if you're into that kind of stuff and you you enjoy it, you know, like as a lady, I enjoy doing things, you know, like like from scratch the struggle is not as um the struggle for survival is not as unenjoyable and you thrive under those conditions you get you get into it you get into being just a human being scratching it out.
0: It's I think what you' you're, you're touching on something that is so primal right there you're just you're concentrating on being human and and what are we doing? most of the time in this modern world and i'm not going to get all ted kaczynski on everybody right now but i'm just saying what if i think about that where you you strip away everything it really is what is life if you're not busting your ass to pay a power bill or busting your ass to pay some other utility bill getting it to pay rent to think about sewer taxes and school taxes and all that other stuff all you're doing every day is taking steps to making sure that you have, uh, you have food, you're preparing one thing or another, you are doing nothing but concentrating on the routine of physically keeping yourself alive. And I understand that that is pretty much the, 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 the means of what we're doing when we go to work in modern day too, but it, 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 it encompasses so many other creature comforts and, um, and frivolous things as well, all of our efforts at work. It, uh, it pays for so many other things beyond the basics, and what you're talking about is the bare necessities right now, and it's, it's very interesting to hear. Now, I want to ask, how are you living right now? Are, are you in a modern home now?
4: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm downtown St. Petersburg. I'm in a century home, but I'm in a nice environment. I have all my instruments because I, diff- I play drums, too. I learned to play about four years ago. So I have my drums. I have my weighted eighty-eight keyboard. I got all the creature comforts. I got my record collection. When
0: did you? I got you on the
4: TV.
3: When, well, when <laughs> you
0: know? when did you when did you say I'm done shitting in a pot and I want this life now? When when did that change for you?
4: It changed for me when I had a sudden change of work and my um I had to make a real quick decision on um, how to um get re-employed and that ended up taking me to Canada which I didn't want to go there Canada was okay but it was so cold so many months out of the year I was in central Alberta and it was rough with creature comforts it was rough mm. okay because when it gets cold there it is killer cold and so uh, I had enough of that after three years and I left the uh husband in canada and divorced him there so i got rid of him in canada
0: so you so you went to canada and you came back without him yes wow and now and now that it you, you said that lasted only for a year have you remarried since
4: um no but uh I'm, i haven't given up on remarrying it's just once bitten twice shy you know? god
0: i get you i understand I think, I think yeah, your journey it has to
4: be somebody with the same attitude as me. They have to have that, that attitude that not to rough it, but just a kick ass attitude. If you don't, if you're too soft and you can't take discomfort and you're not going to deal with this new world, whatever we want to call it, order, what I, not, this chaos that's upon us. If you can't deal with that by getting to a place with a drilled well, I don't want anything to do with you. And If you don't want a gun and ammo, I don't want anything to do with you. You have to get into the mindset of you are going to, when that time comes, and you will know it, you're going to put bullets down range. Somebody who's with me has to have that same attitude.
0: Your story is so intriguing, and you're you're such a badass. I, I wish that this was like... 735 and this was the whole topic of the show i may have to make this into a whole topic how to how to thrive in a survival situation man what a great way to end the show
4: (laughs) yeah i'm glad i could participate frank i really enjoy what you do and uh jay was just so interesting Oh my gosh, you know, yeah, like that other guy said, now I've got all these ideas now, and uh, it's all due to Jay, um, and I had no idea he was doing the fourth hour on Infowars, I think I clicked past him, and now I feel guilty.
0: Oh no, no, he, he does the fourth hour on Fridays, he's been doing that for a while now, I was so excited when I when I heard about that, I started listening to it, and there's uh and uh so so that's that and because every once in a while when i'm cleaning on on saturday is me and lauren we're just cleaning the whole house and so while i'm scrubbing toilets on saturday whatever i'll usually put on the talk stream live uh, app, and, and I, I have InfoWars in there in the mix and stuff, so I usually click on that because they're usually rerunning what's going on on Friday, and more often than not, I'll be listening to Jay do a big breakdown of one topic or another, but let me ask you something because well, I, I want to I make sure that you're stored in the, the phone system. What's your handle in the chat room? How should I store you? Store
4: me as Luann.
0: Okay. That's fine. Luann. Spell it however you want.
4: You'll
0: be able to know it says Luann. Yeah, I'm, yeah, there you go, Luann. It doesn't matter. I'll re- I'll remember you from here on in. But uh, this was a great okay. call, Luann. Thank you for helping me wrap up the show tonight.
4: All right, you take care, Frank.
0: All right, see you later. Bye bye. Bye bye. Wow. Well, so anybody in the uh, St. Petersburg, St. Petersburg uh, area out there, uh, if, if if you're looking for love. And you think you can handle someone like Luann. She's out there. She's out there, man. Just know that you have to have a certain set of skills. And if you're not comfortable shitting in a pot or a frying pan or anything else that is uh, maybe necessary at the time, then just keep moving. Just keep moving. All right. Well, well, that's a great call. I think that is one of those things that we can do uh maybe that can be just like a, a a side a side topic for tomorrow thriving when the object is surviving i think matt would like that i can I, maybe matt can give me a top five top a top five how to thrive in a survival situation so uh i'll have to explain that to him and and just like you know give him give him an idea there but anyway all right that's all I got for you. Thanks again to Jay Dyer. Let me make sure I did not miss anybody in the in the chat here. Cave Toad, Cave Toad over there on Rumble just dropped an incredible, incredibly generous gift in the Rumble Rants. Cave Toad, you do so much uh, during a show to to liven things up and those gold pills and everything. Incredible. Thank you so much. You're very very kind. Very kind. Cost Co- Costco law school says Beacon Hill School. Beacon Hill School. I don't know what that means. Maybe it's a, a reference. Beacon Hill School, a reference that I have missed. CJM's his best apocalypse ever and also thank you Frank. You always have the best guests. And you know something? Sometimes I have the best surprise guests: Luann. Luann with a key 10 and a half minute call at the end there. I p- gladly went over nine o'clock for that one. See, that's why I say, everybody, when you call in, just give your best pitch, your best elevator pitch, because if there's a hook in there, I'm going to keep asking you questions. I'm going to want to know everything. So don't worry about anything. Just throw it out there, little pitches there quick pitch and every once in a while we get just diamonds and then you get gold you get silver you get some brass and then um then you get i i don't know sometimes we have some very strange calls that go nowhere but that's just part of the the fun of not knowing and thank you delona again honey on nacho cheese doritos happy accident honey on nacho cheese doritos Oh, we'll have to consider that and more tomorrow on the Friday night. As for Thursday, it's all done. Thank you for being with me. We will talk to you soon. I'll see you tomorrow morning for the 8.30 show with Tracy on Rumble and then 7 o'clock here everywhere else. Nighty night. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, this film before a live studio audience. And now our super chatter, starting with Stostube and Linny Faye. Thank you. Thank you. Big time to Cave Toad. To Cave Toad and to Costco Law School. Thank you all my friends over there on Foxhole, which I am. I have a wonderful scratching to release right now. Thank you, guys and gals. Tomorrow's another day. Become a sponsor of the show. Go to quitefrankly.tv and click around, especially on that sponsor us section. Join the forum. Be part of the everyday production of the show. We will see you soon.
3: Some fucking smoked turkey in this house huh what i bust my ass all day long when like, i come home i want a little smoked turkey is that too fucking much to ask what
4: the fuck is your problem
3: everything but fucking turkey in
1: here will you shut up meow <laughs>